Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gregory Caswell. I'm the executive director for the Alberta Emerald Foundation. We are here to celebrate the very first episode of season three of What on Earth Can We Do, our podcast, which uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, Colleen and I, uh, Colleen Nook, who's also on the, the call here, um, we host it. And what we do is we put ourselves in a very familiar position for both of us, which is the everyday Albertan or everyday person who's just wanting to do better for the environment. This is the very first episode of season three of What on Earth Can We Do? We're gonna be chatting about a wide range of topics, everything from plastics to land, to reducing emissions, to watersheds and uh, public engagement. So yeah, we have some pretty exciting things that we're covering this season. I'm excited to get it out into the wild. Uh, I also would like to uh, give a little shout out to our special season three sponsors. So Eco Growth Environmental Incorporated, a past Emerald Award recipient signed on this year to help us produce season three. And we have a very special guest here today, a sponsor who has supported us at the foundation for the past seven years with a special focus on our storytelling efforts, particularly this podcast and our Emerald documentary series. Um, so I would like to hand over the stage, the virtual stage, to the Alberta Real Estate Foundation and to Patty Morris, their executive director, to say a few words. Hi, Patty. Hi. Hi, everyone. As Greg said, I'm Patty Morris with the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, and we're thrilled to be here with all of you at the launch of the third season of What on Earth Can We Do podcast. Congratulations to the Emerald Foundation on this important um, event. Uh, for seven years, as Greg said, we've been the proud community sponsor of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, uh, most recently a sponsor of the Important Land Awards, something that we're very proud to be a part of. And this conversation in our mind is so timely. Uh, this, this summer in celebration of our 30th anniversary and three decades of service to Alberta, Albertans, uh, we held engagement sessions with our stakeholders, uh, stakeholders from the real estate industry, uh, previous grantees and others. And, the purpose for us was to listen and ultimately to make sure that that important feedback fed into uh, our plan to help chart our future as we're looking at a new plan, a new strategic plan going forward. And amongst the other issues that we heard, uh, we heard loud and clear that the real estate industry is facing massive changes, financial, technological, demographic, cultural, social, and, and environmental. And critical to green building technologies, we heard uh, about concern related to sustainable, sustainability of urban housing and commercial development, changes in the technology of homes, the importance of energy efficiency, and the significant impacts of climate change. So in response to this stakeholder feedback, we're exploring how we can support efforts that help industry keep pace and adapt to those changes. And a really great example of that to us is uh, SAFE, who we're going to hear from today. Um, we're so pleased to currently be funding their development of green building education for real estate professionals. And this education that they're developing will help professionals to learn of best practices in green building as demand continues to increase from consumers, from building managers and from property uh, managers, building owners and property managers. So we can't wait to find out how we implement green building technology into our lives as homeowners and renters. Uh, so thank you for hosting this important conversation and for letting the foundation play a part. Enjoy the session, everyone. Thank you, Patty, and thank you so much for being here. Um, it is very fortuitous and serendipitous that you are part of this episode mm -hmm. as we are about to dive deep into a conversation about green building and, and green building technologies. Totally. So just like Patty said, we're talking today all about green building technologies. So particularly um, green building technologies in right inside of our homes, whether we're renting or we've purchased a home. So we're going to discuss everything from what's new, how accessible these technologies are, how we can reduce our carbon footprint, whether you're a homeowner or you rent. And we're going to talk about one of the greatest homes on the planet located in uh, Cochrane, Alberta called The Confluence. So that's a project that won an award in the infrastructure category at the 30th Annual Emerald Awards. And it is pretty mind blowing. I'm sure that as soon as more Albertans find out about The Confluence, they will take great pride in it and the fact that it is here in our province. Uh, so I'd like to welcome our panel uh, to our discussion. So we have Melanie Ross, 
who is a research associate with State Green Building Technologies, who uh, actually took home an Emerald Award a few years ago in the education category. And we also have Peter Grahl, founder of Woodpecker European Timber Framing. Welcome. Thanks so much, Gregory. It's wonderful to be here. Um, we're, we couldn't be happier to, uh, to not only have been a recipient of the Alberta Emerald Awards, um, but also to be here in support of the foundation and of, uh, of the Alberta Real Estate Foundation. Um, I think it's amazing that these two foundations have existed for 30 years and have been celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. I think it's a testament to the dedication across Alberta towards um, not only green building, but the environment and all of the good things that we're, that we're doing and looking at from every, every angle to ensure we're weaving sustainability into everything we do. Um, if I can go on a, on a, on a, just a little tiny tangent, I am not yes, a native please. Albertan, but I have been here for 14 years. And I have to say that having lived and worked in various parts of Canada um, through my whole life, um, we do a lot here in Alberta that gets overshadowed by other types of industry. And I think, uh, I think these kinds of activities, the podcast, everything is just a really great way to shout it from the rooftops about all the amazing work that happens here. Um, it has been my absolute pleasure in my role at SATE. I've been there for two years now to, to get to know these foundations and, and recognize all the amazing people that, uh, that we have right here, homegrown. Well, thanks, Melody. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs> that's where we can leave it. <laughs> no, thank oh. you so much for, for joining us. So, Melanie, yeah, thank I, you for, sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead, Peter. Greg, thank you for my end, Jude. Just a few words. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel very thankful that uh, I can be part of this, Colleen and Gregory, today and uh, answer questions and pass on some of my knowledge that I have. And uh, I'm also very, very pleased to see that this finds more attention and more people are actually interested in that kind of um, construction or in generally, generally spoken in sustainable sustainable life and, and leaving less of a footprint in our lives. Um, this is great to see. I've been building uh, structures or houses for, for about two decades now sustainably. And uh, I'm, of course, improving every time I, I build a new, I approach a new project. But uh, I finally get uh, some interest from, from the, the common population, from, from way more people than we used to in the very beginning, two decades ago. And that's very very satisfy satisfying actually to, to see that. Thank you're you. Here. That's incredible. And I can't wait to talk to Peter. I can't wait to see like what exactly you're building right now and what these trends are. Um, but first, Melanie, I have one, I have a question for you. If you could tell us a little bit first before we dive into everything else mm -hmm. about say screen building technologies. Sure. Um, thanks Colleen for, for that opportunity. Uh, so the SATE Green Building Technology Access Center is one of six research areas at SATE that are part of the Applied Research and Innovation Services Business Unit. We do all sorts of things. Um, as our name suggests, we do focus on green building technologies, but uh, it, that's a very broad description of, of everything that, that we look at. Um, we've existed for uh, 11 years going on 12 soon. Um, just on our own uh, at, at SATE. And we look at everything from um, renewable energy and battery storage and how to integrate that into um, a building. We look at uh, building towards um, you know, good site usage and the ecology of the site, considering water, rainwater capture, things like that. We look at smart building management um, because we're working towards energy efficiency, emissions reductions, um, with the ultimate goal of getting to that net zero or even net positive. So our building on campus is actually... Um, uh, it looks like a large house, but it has been commercialized uh, and it is actually net positive with all of the technologies that we have integrated within it. And the whole thing is a lab. Every aspect of the building, the materials within it, we help product, you know, product manufacturers develop their technologies, their materials, we test things. So everything in it 
on it, about it, how it runs, even the data we generate and we're you know monitoring with all the sensors. It's all research. It's all there to help inform people who are building homes, building buildings, the whole industry to learn from and to hopefully adapt and adopt those practices into their own building uh, to move it all forward um, sustainably. That's really cool. I have to be honest. I think that's the first time that I heard net positive. I thought that net zero is what we were going for. So for somebody who's new mm -hmm. to this, that's meaning that the property is creating more energy than it's using? It, it does, yes. And so we, we are we're positioned so that we're at kind of that bleeding edge of innovation. So we're always looking for what is brand new, you know, what's coming out of Europe, what's coming out of other places that we need to adapt or look at for our cold climate in Canada, and then how do we move that forward? And the idea is that then we take those lessons learned and we pass them down to our partners. And we have a handful of partners that are really interested in doing that bleeding edge innovation with us like Peter and Woodpecker European Timber Frame. Then from there, we do the test cases. We actually build things and monitor it and take a look at and attempt these certifications, attempt you know, to reach certain goals and prove it out and help, help the industry transition. And to Peter's comment about you know, 20 years later, finally seeing people building in the way that um, Woodpecker has done for two decades um, is is really wonderful to see that that uptake and so that's what we're helping to foster there with a bit of a education and training slant as well so yes net positive means that we are actually producing more energy on site than we actually need to run and the idea eventually because we, we have a, a some capacity to be able to put that back into our alberta utility grid which means we're putting energy back into the system for use else um, what we hope is that over time we'll build that up so that we can put more and more energy back into the grid and help support other areas that might need you know much more energy to run and may not be able to make it to that net zero um, place of, of energy efficiency uh, but you know, we work together. That's the idea. We work together and we cycle this all together so that we, we could reach net zero as a, as a whole. Very cool. And we were honored to, uh, to uh, recognize the Green Building Technologies program with an Emerald Award a few years ago. Um, how has the world changed? Is this program still unique in, in Canada? Is mm -hmm. this something that other schools are taking on? What, what's what's the, the changing landscape of, of this learning right now? Right, so we, um, we're we still the only ones who have a building like we do and labs like we do to the extent that we have. Uh, I think part of that is because we started so early compared to other um, institutions. I'm happy to say though that more and more institutions are adopting sustainability in all different kinds of practices um, and are incorporating it into their their regular um, school streams uh, they're incorporating it into their day-to-day -day lives and into their buildings and then they're also conducting research in different ways um, within their jurisdictions and their regions to uh, to help this conversation move forward and we're starting to look at how do we bring folks to together from different regions across Canada and keep having the conversations and keep looking at, okay, we've done these kinds of things really well, or somebody in one region has done it really well, and now it's time to share that info elsewhere. And then what are the things we want to work on? Where are the areas that together we could actually make, make um, more inroads and faster inroads to meet our national targets? Thanks. So Millie, there's there's something that you mentioned earlier about like certification on like what levels of um, how how green a home could be, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Can, this kind of ties in a little bit into the living building challenge. Can you just describe what that is? And then Peter, I want um, I want to hear from you about how you became a part of this living building challenge. Absolutely, Colleen. So we we met a homeowner who was very dedicated to building um, sustainably. And this family was already living quite sustainably, but wanted to build a new home and really wanted to push the boundaries of what was possible. Recognizing that 
it would be hard and it definitely has been hard. <laughs> we uh, started to take a look at does the certification make sense in this case? What are the goals of the family? What are the what are their sustainability goals? How do they want to um, how do they want to live? How do they want to represent their uh, philosophy and and where they want to go um, with with that adopted lifestyle? Because this is this is a long term you know sort of we want to live this way forever. We don't we don't want this just to be a flash in the pan and and move on. Um, so we work together to look at different certification programs that are out there. There's all kinds from certifying, you know, a lot of people heard about Energy Star, which certifies appliances for their energy efficiency, um, and right up to the Living Building Challenge, which is run by the International Living Futures Institute. And it's touted as um, one of the hardest green building certification programs in the world. It tackles a lot of issues across the board in a really, um, really in-depth and I would even say intense way. <laughs> uh, the expectations are to be as, as green as we possibly can um, and even sometimes beyond the limits of what we're actually able to achieve in our, in our regions because it's not a one-size-fits-all um, kind of approach. So that's where we, that's where we came from towards this project and that's how we ended up selecting living building challenge as the certification program there are a number of ways to achieve certification through um, single focus areas the pedals or to do a full certification across all the pedals achieving absolutely everything and that is what we're doing with this project we are aiming for full certification and Right now, based on other projects that we know of, um, we're somewhere around fifth or sixth in the world uh, that will hopefully achieve the full certification. That is very cool. And I'm sure it's, it sounds like it's like the cream of the crop of certification to get. <laughs> yeah. Melanie, do you know where the other ones are located? They're actually all over the world. Um, there are uh, a few in the United States. Um, that's where the program originated. Uh, there's one in BC, and there are a couple on the other side of the globe. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to bring Peter in here. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, how did uh, how did Woodpecker European Timber Framing get involved with the Living Building Challenge? Um, yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've been I've been interested in sustainable building pretty much all of my life. I, I, 25, 28 years ago when I took my apprenticeship back in, in Germany, um, I was fortunate enough to work for a company that was already focusing on that kind of construction. And uh, I guess Europe it was always quite ahead of, of the game when it comes to sustainable building uh, as opposed to like ahead of, ahead of North America. Um, and since I've always been interested, I've always really tried to implement everything I know into my into my structures, right? So when I built the first house here 20 years ago, it was already ahead of, of, of everybody else, I got to say, that, that that I knew that was in my area or, or actually not only in the area, but but um, in a quite quite as a conference that was building to the degree of, of sustainable. And, um, and um, so... When uh, say I've always had a well for many years we've, I've had a bit of a relationship with Sade and uh, we've we've bounced ideas back and forth and and because you know the, the green building family is still pretty small and at 15 years ago it was very small um, so people know each other and so when they uh, they they actually recommended me to to the Molnar family um, they should talk to me and see if we could be a good fit for that project and. Uh, so I remember we had the first meeting and it's many, many years ago, actually, this project was, um, took, took, took quite a while. It was quite a while in the planning and then the construction, you know, went, went pretty smooth, but it also took its time, um, with, with all the, the bedding out, all the materials and all that stuff. So, uh, when they brought me on board, uh, it brought me on board. I thought, uh, this was a really cool project because it was really, um, 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 realizing what what kind of my my dreams in construction were like it was a very holistic approach um, so there's a lot of uh, uh, certifications out there net zero uh, passive house um, lead and many of them lead is a different story but but many of the other certifications in particular passive house and net zero 
are um, looking at the energy consumption of the house, period, right? So, so a passive house is, is putting a huge amount, just to keep it simple, of insulation around the walls and the foundation and the roof to keep the energy consumption as small as possible with no regards to where does that insulation come from? What is it made from? And in 80 or 100 years, when this house gets torn down, where is this stuff all going? Right? It's going to fill up the landfills. It's never going to rot. And that is something that I really, really uh, take into consideration and that I focus on is, is the holistic. Like what's, what are the ingredients of the, of the materials we put in? Where do they come from? Where are they manufactured? What, what's happening with them after their lifespan? Is it, is it really necessary to put that much insulation, for example, around the house? What are you really gaining for the effort you're putting in and, and the energy you're putting into that, that material in order to manufacture it? Um, and that, that's what I really liked about that, um, the Living Building Challenge certification is that they look at it uh, very holistically from all sides. And, uh, yeah, and so I, uh, you know, in the Molinars and I kind of uh, got along as well, which is very important if you if you're building for for a family because it's a big it's a big investment, oftentimes the biggest investment of their lifetime. Um, and so I was, you know, fortunate enough to be, be become part of that team. So we, I feel like we've kind of teased this a little bit. So now we're we're talking a bit about the confluence, but let's it's it's. I just want to explain it a little bit, just in case people have missed it slightly. So it's it's one of the greenest homes on earth, and it's a partnership between Sates Green Building Technologies, Woodpecker European Timber Farming, uh, framing, sorry, and farming, <laughs> the holistic thing, right? And um, a family from Southern Alberta, um, and. We all, we all got together and created this incredible home. Um, I love that, Peter, you were talking about that holistic approach towards building. Can you tell me a little bit about how that loops into, like how the confluence was built using that approach? Like, I'm just, I'm curious with some examples with what you actually used to build this home. Yeah, yeah. So, um, for example, um, this house uh, is like Melanie mentioned earlier, um, a, a net positive, right? So it produces more energy than it consumes. Um, in order to achieve that, we need a lot of insulation. So one thing is to produce energy with, let's say, solar panels on the roof, harvesting rain, rainwater. But um, also the house has to be built very, very um, uh, energy-wise and, and waste the least amount of energy possible. Um, so we had to use a lot of insulation. Instead of going and buying um, crude oil-based uh, insulation, like you get, can buy cheap at uh, any building supply store at the corner, um, we went and, and looked at, or actually, you know, together, of course, with the Living Building Institute, looked at insulation that, that meets their, their standards and their certifications. Have the least amount of off-gassing, are manufactured in close proximity, are manufactured with uh, sustainable um, um, products or components. So we choose uh, we choose to go with a um, cellulose, uh, blow-in cellulose in, that went into the cavity of the walls. Um, that was many or is manufactured in uh, in northern Alberta in, in Edmonton actually, and um, is uh, is made from the recycled paper, cardboard, and newspaper. Wow. So that's one example, right? And there's there's uh, um, many others. Um, um, where it was just like, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, like I said, it's not just the R value of that product, but it's what is it made of? Where does it come from? What's its origin? Um, we, uh, on another, um, uh, on another item we used, um, instead of using OSB, um, with a lot of glues and formaldehyde in them and, and, and toxins in them, um, we used, uh, simply used, um, diagonal strapping on the walls for, for rigidity and achieving a diaphragm. So, um, and we were able to source that material, uh, that strapping material locally in Alberta, only about 150, 200 kilometers away from the job site, instead of going to OSB and getting it possibly from the States or from one of the big plants that we have in, in, Northern, in, in, in Canada. So it sounds like the confluence was kind of like this giant project with all these little problem solving tasks of how to source out all of this stuff holistically. That sounds like a full-time job for at least <laughs> two or three people. So who's in charge? Like, 
who's in charge of sourcing this out? It sounds like you had to be pretty creative with some of the issues, especially being in Alberta, which I would assume would come with a lot of um, hurdles because of our winters. Um, Tell me a little bit about the partnership between state, like how you came up with solving these problems. I can jump in, Colleen, if that's Mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of the, uh, I like that Peter jumped into the partnership piece early on because it really was about the right fit. We have been a very tight team for quite a few years now in, in, you know, kind of in, investigating and then designing and then getting to construction and in fact the construction piece um while it has gone well uh was very challenging because every piece every material every component of every assembly had to be looked at through the lens of the living building challenge and i would say that of everything that we looked at um as a team with LBC and what was involved in all the different um, elements of it, the red list and the material selection components was the most challenging by far. Uh, The red list is a list of over 800 toxic chemicals and products that are um, on this list that are, you know, considered, um, no, no longer like they're, they're not sustainable at all. And you cannot have any of them in your project eight over 800. And a lot, some of these are very typical, like, um, PVC, <laughs> which you'd use the PVC pipes. It's everywhere. Um, we had to find alternatives for all of them. So the, the state team, this is where the research part comes in, in a big way is we researched over 1500 materials to narrow in on about 750 that were used in the home. And that's that's a typical amount of, of products and materials. Think about it as, as well, when, when something goes in like a, like a fireplace, um, every bolt, every piece of it, every different material had to be looked at um, to ensure that every component met. Otherwise, we weren't being true to the spirit of, of the program. And that's, that's sort of where, where we landed. And then we also did a lot of research into the regionality of things. Is it available close by? We know that if it's coming from overseas, the carbon footprint of that particular product is huge. No matter how sustainable the product could be, the carbon footprint of it is it, it just negates that, that sustainability um, the further away it comes from. So we really had to take a look at what do we have available in our own network and our own, you know, in our own province or just over the border in BC, um, how far do things really have to travel to get to us? And and we wanted to support local. We wanted to be able to, to support, you know, kind of our, our, our economy here at the local level. And we found fantastic, lots of great products, lots of fantastic options. Um, it's especially um, important to note that Woodpecker European timber framing approaches building from a highly sustainable place in the first place. So um, all, you know, excellent quality wood products that are coming in, not, not, you know, no glues, no toxic chemicals or anything like that. A lot of those um, wood members are, are, are recut and recreated to be able to build the way that the home was built. And it highly, contributed to the way that it was built highly contributed to the energy efficiency of the home and um and the comfort of the home when you walk in it's quiet it's comfortable it it feels really good being in there and and that was another important element was you know the the materials the toxicity of the materials we didn't want off-gassing we didn't want the homeowners to feel uncomfortable because their house had that new house smell for two years afterwards those are chemicals off-gassing when you smell that new house smell Um, and we wanted to mitigate that as 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 much as possible um is there is there i'm gonna just ask one follow-up gregor that's all yours It was there something in particular, this is for either Melanie or Peter, was there something in particular that you researched that you thought, hey, this particular material would be great for such and such a thing for the home? 
And it turned out to work out really well that maybe, Peter, you're thinking of working into current or future projects. For me, that was certainly the, the diagonal strapping. And so in just, just, just go back a step. So I don't know what the, the audience knows about construction, but if you, if you see a regularly framed house here in Alberta and all over North America, um, you see the OSB or plywood on the outside and, and OSB on plywood that, that acts as a, as, a, as a sheet good, so as a, as a um, diaphragm so that the house basically doesn't collapse because if you just have the vertical studs and the horizontal members, the house would just fall over. Um, so that product um, has a lot of toxins in it right? because it is um, a lot of formaldehyde in the glues and um, oftentimes it's manufactured far away, like I mentioned earlier on. And so we were looking uh, for an alternative. So we, we dug around and we found uh, products that were, um, well, I guess sustainably manufactured and also formaldehyde free with using more natural glues. But they were three times the price of regular OSB or regular sheet goods. So they became, became kind of a no-no because we were also, you know, also we had a, had a budget in mind and that would be basically also always have, right? A budget in mind for, for the house. We can't just, just spend whatever money we like or have to. And um, so we, we thought about a solution and we came up with uh, diagonal strapping. So we, we went out and took, uh, went and took uh, one by six, uh, just regular lumber spruce and uh, fastened it in a diagonal shape, like in a 45 degree angle and creating uh, that way with, with lots of fasteners, of course, creating a, the same diaphragm effect that we have with, with sheet good. And now we have a, a, a wall assembly that's purely wood and no glues and no, no chemicals, no toxins in it. And that is something that I definitely, um, or actually am, I am already implementing into my, my new builds. Um, the cost is a little bit higher, but because there's no, there's more labor involved, but also we literally, uh, have, uh, no waste, right? We have the, the, the cutoffs we reuse, of course, and what we can't reuse, we, we shred and, and we burn to heat our, our, uh, 18,000 square foot facilities in, in Exshaw, which are purely heated with cutoffs, um, uh, and uh, so we, we, we found a way to make use or to, to, to build a wall that has A, uh, no, no toxic ingredients in it, and B, that every, whatever is left and in waste, we can simply burn without uh, blowing any, again, toxins into the air because we're not burning any glue. Uh, laminated materials and uh, we can therefore make use of it and, and heat our shop again. So that's something that, that, that was one of the key, key components for me that, uh, that I will definitely keep, keep uh, using and implementing in my, in my new builds. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's so fascinating about this example of the confluence is that as an everyday person, uh, I mean, we've been having the conversation for a while about LED lighting and, and the small things that we can do around our homes. Yeah. But what's fascinating to me is that there's so much more that can be done to homes to make them more sustainable. So, I mean, very deserving of an Emerald Award, very exciting to see that this is happening in our province. Um, as an outsider, though, it seems pretty aspirational. Like it's, it seems almost unattainable and very expensive. And I imagine, I don't want to ask for an exact cost, but I mean, to someone like me who, who's thinking, wow, this would, this is my dream home. This would be amazing, but I will never be able to afford these green technologies. What would you say? I would jump right in and say, actually you can, you'd be surprised at what the cost of the home was. Um, we're talking about a family who is like every other family in Alberta. I will use Calgary as an example because I live in Calgary. Um, I live in a pretty standard suburban neighborhood home. Um, and I, I think today it costs between four and five hundred thousand uh, dollars. The home that we built for the Molinar family um, is really not that far off. We did spend a lot of time on research and figuring things out because it is a first of its kind. So keep that in mind. But if we were to do it again, um, I think Peter, you'd probably agree. I mean, we, we would have a process down pat. We now have 
a pre-vetted list of 1500 building products. We know what does and doesn't work um, from a, you know, from that perspective. Peter's invented a brand new way to, <laughs> to she the home um, with, with the strapping instead of the, the OSB. And, and we've looked at um, different technologies and systems that we integrated into the home for uh, heating. We have a really neat um, uh, water tubing that runs through um, on the basement floor. It's concrete, but on the set on the main floor and on the second floor, we have sand sandwiched between um like a floor sandwich literally with sand in the middle and 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 water tubes that run through to be able to run hot water through and create that radiant heat but we used sand because we know that it um it holds heat a lot better and a lot longer and will slowly radiate out and you'll have that you know when you have that feeling of warmth on your feet you feel warm all over uh, we did we found lots of really innovative ways to salvage materials and bring them in. You'll look at the photos of the building um, and, and you'll just be wowed by the kitchen. The floors are incredible throughout. The floors were salvaged from a warehouse. Um, we pulled it, pulled them all off of a warehouse floor in Vancouver and it all came over. Um, it was going to get demolished. The kitchen is completely salvaged. It's a showroom kitchen. And we worked with um, the folks that had built it and they built a couple pieces to fit the new space and match. Um, and it turned out beautifully. The big piece of glass on the main counter is a piece of salvaged glass. There are over 40 products that are salvaged in the home. Um, and it, it doesn't look like, and forgive any students who are on the call because I lived that way for a long time when I had no money and had tuition to pay, but it does not look like student housing with a hodgepodge <laughs> of things all kind of patched together. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible home. And this, this is a labor of love for the homeowners and they were very much involved. I will say that that, that is necessary in building a home like this. You do want to be involved. You want to be involved in the decision-making and really being able to share why you want to build this way and what are the things that matter the most to you as a family, as a homeowner, even as a community. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that if we were to do it again, we would not, this would not be an out of reach expensive home. This is a within reach option. It just requires some personal dedication to seeing the vision through uh, and there are a ton of things that we did. We did everything in this home. So remember that as well. That was the goal to do everything, everything as highly sustainable as possible. It includes what's happening outside. We, we designed the landscape to be a food forest. So every aspect of it is edible in some way from the bark on the trees that can be made into tea to the plants, to the garden. Uh, you know, we capture rainwater um, because they're on a well system. So they actually, we actually are water positive as well, um, which is very challenging to achieve. We don't tap into any municipal system. We use natural water flow into the well, plus the rainwater we capture to do everything in the home and then also water the gardens and keep the food coming from the food forest. There, there's, there's no element that was left untouched but every element is something that people could pick and choose from to incorporate sustainability into their own homes and buildings. So Melanie, you say that, Oh, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, no, I just want to say I very much agree with Melanie there and particularly the part uh, that she said, um, um, well, a, we have, uh, we now have the experience to, to do this much more efficiently. Um, so just, just imagine to go back to the, that example of a fireplace when, she, when Melanie said, you know, that fireplace has 50 components or 70 components in it that all have to be vetted. And don't forget, uh, the, so we choose a fireplace, we vet it, and it has 70 components, and component 69 doesn't, is, is on the red list, right? So we have to figure a different model, pick a different model, and do the vetting again. So that was a huge amount of time and work. And we, most of, of the products, we know now what we can use and we, what we can't use. But also the, the, uh, the customer has to be dedicated, like Melanie mentioned, and has to be 
like has to live behind that. It's not just about that certification, but it's really living mm -hmm. that idea, that that dream of of building a, a top-notch sustainable house. Um, you can't just go to IKEA or to some lighting store and pick a light fixture, right? Because it very likely is going to make is going to make the wedding process, right? So you have to be flexible with your design. You can't be set on one certain thing, but you have to go with the flow, be flexible, and maybe. Uh, you know, change your mind uh, while driven by by uh, circumstances, by yeah, by circumstances. Uh, change your mind and make, make a different decision in a sometimes in a heartbeat, right? Because the <laughs> the um, and we had those situations. Uh, the the trades are waiting on side and they're waiting for your decision because uh, the certain product they brought they can't use anymore. Oh, I love that, um, and that actually ties in nicely to what we had a conversation about the other day when we all met was um, this takes a bit of commitment from the builder, both whoever you've hired to build your home as well as, as the homeowner, whoever's building the home. Um, I want to talk about, because it's that time commitment, there's, there is just a little bit harder overall. Let's talk about resale a little bit from like the mm -hmm. business side. So like as a builder, why other than having something that's more sustainable, can you see this being viable business-wise as like the resale of the home or anything like that? Yeah, Colleen, you should tell your story about your friend, the architect, who... I, that's great. I totally will. I'm totally going to say it. So I was saying the other day, what Gregory is referring to is I have a friend of mine who built a duplex who is an architect and he built a, um, a beautiful very, very energy efficient duplex. It has an aluminum roof. It has all these nuts and bolts. Like, don't ask me what they are. I will not be able to tell you, but um, very sustainable home. Um, when that home was appraised, it came, the appraisal came in a lot lower than what was expected or even what he had built the home for. So um, I'm just wondering if maybe this is something that'll eventually be taken into consideration when you end up selling your home. Mm -hmm. I think, um, Colleen, we are seeing change. It's not happening quickly, but it is changing. Um, it's uh, part of the work that Sate's doing for the Alberta Real Estate Foundation was exactly along this line of recognizing that when people are putting this kind of effort into building, but it's things that you may not necessarily see. It's the things between the walls. It's the innovative strapping that Peter was talking about. Um, you don't see that in the finished product, but it's there and it's really important and it has a value. And so we're trying to create um, education snippets that demonstrate that value through um, just bite-sized pieces of, of um of videos and, and information so that people in the real estate industry recognize, hey, if this house is, is, is energy efficient or if it has this kind of mechanical system or this kind of lighting, this actually has a value that isn't necessarily the granite countertop and, you know, the, the finishes. It's, it's beyond that. And it makes me happy to, to hear, you know, every couple of months we get an announcement from um, a developer or a builder that says, hey, all our new homes are going to have this kind of energy efficiency baked in now, or we're going to add solar to every new home. And those are some really positive steps towards homeowner education and also the professional education for folks who are appraising the homes and giving it a value that they recognize that there, there's more to that value than perceived. Um, and there are a lot more builders who have um, small ones that are coming forward and saying, we just want to build better. We just want to build better and we want but we want people to recognize that what they're getting is, a, is an amazing build. And I could go on about Peter <laughs> and the and Woodpecker oh, European you. timber framing because <laughs> the quality, the, the quality and the durability is what made them the obvious choice to be able to partner on the project to go to this extent. But I would say that people need to start demanding that. And yes, you know, maybe 
it's it's getting undervalued and, and and it's worth the investment, right? It's getting undervalued and it's worth the investment to go down that route. It kind of reminds <laughs> me. Of, excuse me. I, I was just going to say it kind of reminds me of the electric vehicle or the hybrid vehicle, where you're definitely paying more up front, um, but your fuel costs are less, and also the impact that you're having on the environment is much less than if you were to buy a regular car, which is priced cheaper. So it's almost like sustainability. And the decision to purchase sustainably is is more expensive up front, but the the after effects kind of make up for that cost. Absolutely. Think yeah. About, you, it, it, you go ahead, Peter. Yeah. So you know it, it, it does, but it's not it. Um, those and I can just I can tell you a bit of a story of you know who my customers used to be or who the people used to be that approached me to to build for them and who they are now. And uh, I had a lot of people approaching me in the last, you know, decade and a half, uh, people that wanted me to build for them. And very quickly, it turned out that I'm not the right choice because um, they're not interested in good, uh, a good wall system and a good roof and, and good windows and a sustainably built house. They don't care what's in their, in their paint that goes onto their interior walls, sadly. Um, they rather care about a $15,000 fridge or a $10,000 range. Right. Um, but th that decision of theirs is, is also not driven necessarily uh, investment driven. So it's not really, you know, I'm putting that uh, uh, $10,000 fridge in because in 10 years from now, I'm getting $50,000 back. That's not right. Um, so nowadays, uh, uh, a way bigger portion of uh, potential customers that come into my office and, and want to talk to me are well-educated about about what's what's possible or want to do not necessarily what's possible but they, what their dream is what they want to do and they come to me because they've heard we built high quality and very sustainably um, and that has changed drastically and so going back to um, your question um, is this is this like will you get your money back or are you going to lose a whole bunch of money by building a house like that um, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I would have said, you're going to lose a bunch of money. <laughs> um, that has changed. Um, uh, there is, you, you have to find the clientele, of course. It's not for everybody. It, not everybody is interested in that. And, and if you rather want that, again, $15,000 fridge, to take that example, um, then that's what you want, right? And, and uh, those are not the people that approach us and they want to have us as builders or us as a team, whether, you know, with, with Sade as a partner. And... Um, so it's a it's it's not everybody's, but it there's definitely the amount of people that are interesting and that are will interested and that are willing to pay um, for that kind of construction has certainly grown. So there's bigger demand um, than than way bigger demand than there was a decade ago. And if I, can, if I can leave everyone with with a little thought in their mind, because Peter's absolutely right. Imagine if you didn't have to pay an electricity gas or water bill ever what if it came to zero at the end of every year mm. what if in fact you were generating enough energy that the energy company was paying you for that extra energy it wouldn't take very long where you could get that fifteen thousand dollar fridge right you could take lots of trips you could have it's this is the thing and and, and gregory when you introduced kind of this question you were you were bang on like there's a long-term return on that investment up front. Um, and it, it has been proven time and time again. A home is very personal though. And so we try to find a balance between those really personal wants versus, you know, kind of finding that return on investment that will set a homeowner up in a really good place for the long-term. I don't know if we could, I feel like that was the mic drop on this episode. <laughs> that was, that was really well said, um, which I mean, is a perfect segue into the title of the show. So um, it's called what on earth can we do? We sit down with, with the experts to ask specifically what we can do. And I, I'd like us to take this uh, at two angles because some of our listeners will be homeowners and others are renters. Um, and yeah. So can you just give us some advice maybe inspired by uh, the Confluence or other projects that you've worked on that the everyday person tonight, tomorrow, this weekend can apply to their homes to, 
or things that they should be considering if they're about to go into a new build? Um, definitely. I mean, especially if you're a renter, because I know that's really hard. You, you, there's certain things you just don't have control over. Um, heating and cooling is one of them. A lot of the times you, you don't have a lot of control over what's happening in a larger building. Um, you can, however, change all of your light bulbs to LED. You'll never buy another light bulb again if you do that. You can even take them with you when you move. Just keep the other ones and put them back. Um, but switch them over to LED. The price point on LED bulbs has come down tremendously. Um, you can also, you could talk to a landlord and ask them if you could switch out the water fixtures um, into uh, more water efficient ones. The, I have, you know, we, we did that when we moved into our home, we switched all the, all the bulbs to LED. We went around with, um, insulation and we filled in all the cracks around things like your outlets. Um, and your light switches and because air will flow through there because there's not as much insulation behind that electrical that little box where your outlet is you can stuff that with insulation and and keep those those drafty and air leakage areas dealt with um switching out your faucet to one that that has a lower flow that, that regulates the flow same with your shower head um, very easy things to switch out. A lot of landlords are fine with doing that, especially if you remind them that they'll save money because you won't use as much energy or water <laughs> if they're paying for it. Um, when you're talking about materials, go for things that are low VOC. So VOC is volatile organic compounds. I'm thinking things like paint and glues and stuff like that. Um, even the furniture that you're selecting, you can find out out what off gases and opt for the the low voc options um other things you could do is, is is just get into some really good habits you can install switches that have sensors on them so it turns out the lights after you know a few seconds if no one's in the room um or turning out the lights, putting things on a timer. If you can put a timer on your thermostat so that it drops to a lower temperature, put an extra blanket on your bed. These are all things that we have all heard before. They work. We still recommend doing these things. I am not recommending these things right now because I am scrambling to find things to recommend. I'm recommending them because they're easy and they work and it starts to make an impact. Um, then next time you need to get a new appliance get an energy efficient one a water and a water efficient washer they'll make a big difference take advantage of the rebate programs that are out there right now um, whenever there's a rebate program i remember again when we bought our home um, we at the time they had the toilet rebate well we switched all the toilets to to low flow um, we immediately saved 30% on our water bill by switching our fixtures out for lower flow um, components. The things you can do um, outside if you have a green thumb, even if you don't have a green thumb, do some reading, figure out, you know, hey, what can I plant that it doesn't necessarily have to be tomatoes, right? Tomatoes are awesome, but they're also very hard to grow in Alberta um, without the right little microclimate on in your in your your community. But there's lots of other things you can grow. There's plenty of things that grow wild. You can make teas. You can do all sorts of things. You can dry just about anything to preserve. Um, there's, there's lots of great options out there. And there's some really great people who know a lot about it. Um, capture rainwater from your roof. Uh, use it to water around your yard. Don't run your sprinkler in our dry, dry, dry summer and our hot, hot days. Use your, use your rain, your rain barrel to trickle water through and, um, you know, and, and keep things moist. Um, gosh, there's so many things that can be done. If you're getting your siding redone, um, have the person, have the company that's doing the siding add a layer of um, insulation before they put the siding back on. Oftentimes they'll bring in, um, rigid foam, which is a great option. Uh, not necessarily the most sustainable material. I will say that it, 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 uh, it, it does, it is made from chemicals, but at the same time, um, if your energy efficiency is your, is your jam and you want to go down that route, um, splurge for the extra thick pieces because it'll it'll be priced based on how much how much thickness you put on it'll be well worth it 
Um, you don't necessarily have to change out windows. It's, it can be expensive. Make sure they're sealed and caulked so there's no drafts. If you have really old windows, um, it's worth having a company come in and, and re-caulking them for you. That, that will extend them for a long, you know, quite a few more years until you're ready to do that full switch out. You can also get products that kind of laminate to the glass that will create another layer of insulation. It's small, but it does make a difference. There's, I could go on and on and on here with all kinds of things that, that, that you could be doing um, to, to, to work with what you've got, right? We've got to work with what we've got. And in fact, we need to retrofit existing buildings rather than tearing them down. Peter mentioned waste before. If we just go around ad hoc and just knock everything down and, and, and build new, we're not, um, we're not doing ourselves any favors from a sustainability perspective. What we need to do is, is approach it in a balanced way. Yes, we will always have new buildings being built and let's build them as best as we can. And then let's look at the existing ones and let's try to retrofit them as best as we can so that we get to, uh, we get to that level. I just want to say a very few words because I realize we're getting to the end here um, to what Melanie said. And I totally agree with what you say. And I think one, one very simple and very like one way to, to achieve and to, to help and to, to preserve energy is to just uh, go back to the, to the roots, go back to the, to the basics, um, you know, uh, and then this is not only in construction, but it's in everyday life. Um, um, when you go to Tim Hortons, bring your mug. When you, uh, um, you know, when you leave the house, turn the lights off. There is no reason to uh, overnight at uh, one o'clock in the morning to have all the exterior light on because you want to show off your house. Um, nobody's on the streets anymore, anyways, right? Um, and those little things, even without changing light bulbs and without changing faucets, don't turn the shower on and then get undressed and then go inside inside the shower, right? Um, there's so many so many little things where you could just um, watch what you do every day. Um, and uh, if you go to the grocery store and you live, live in Calgary, maybe you can walk, maybe you can take your bicycle, maybe it's not that far or take public transportation, right? So con consider that stuff. Um, um, you know, us in our company, we do, we do a lot of very basic things. Like we, we have big trucks. Of course we have big trucks, right? We have to haul big loads to construction sites. We have big trucks and big trailers, but we also have four little cars, and when we go to Calgary, back and forth to construction site, or we have construction sites at Yellowknife, like uh, everywhere on, in Western Canada. Um, and we have to drive up there and uh, we and we only commuting, only carrying passengers. I, I put four people, four of my big construction guys into a Toyota Matrix and they're driving to Calgary back and forth. And in the beginning, like 10 years ago, they were bitching. They're not anymore. They get it. And um, those those little things um, are just people were laughing at me showing up on the on the construction site with a car um, in the beginning until until I told them until they did the math in front of them and they realized that I'm putting 600 bucks a month into my own pocket in, in, versus driving a, a, a F350 super dually custom whatever right and uh, yeah. and so now they're not laughing anymore. So those little <laughs> things, right? It's not, it's not, a, it, you don't have to throw out your dishwasher and buy a new one. Also, you just bought one two years ago. Don't do that. Just, just rethink um, how you load your dishwasher, right? Um, and a road cycle you run it on and all that stuff. So um, I think that's just connected to what you said there, Melanie. Yeah, those, those are some really wonderful examples. And I think Colleen and I go into this, this podcast thinking that we're going to find the new innovative thing that no one's thought of before. But what really sort of resonates <laughs> is that we've had these conversations. Now we just need to do it. And um, so thank you so much for, for sharing all of those examples. Um, I feel very inspired and I'm like, yes, I could do that. So I feel very motivated as well. Um, while we still have some of our audience members on the call, uh, does anyone have any questions for our panelists? No, nothing so far. <laughs> well, that actually brings us to the part of, in the conversation. I mean, we're both feeling very inspired. The Colleen mm -hmm. and I now need to make some commitments as to what we're going to do taking this beautiful conversation that we've just had with, with the two of you and going into our everyday lives again. So Colleen, what, what's, what's on your mind? 
Uh, well, actually, I have a, lar- a larger, I guess, renovation that needs to be done next spring. Um, we're one of those unfortunate homes that has a flat roof top. So those always cause a ton of problems. Um, so I think this kind of just inspired me to maybe look a little more into what my options are in terms of uh, this renovation and the materials that we use and going a little bit more um, sustainably. So who knows, Peter, maybe I'll be throwing you an email saying that the contractors suggested this. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Uh, I'm totally happy to give you my advice. Absolutely. (laughs) Great. What about you, Gregory? Uh, Well, I'm sort of in the same place. There's nothing that I need to do on my home right now. We have LED lighting. It is my dream to put in solar panels. I'll talk about that on a, on a later podcast in this season where we actually talk about emissions and renewable energy. Um, but yeah, just some of the things that uh, Melanie, you brought up about, you know, the rainwater. I, we just recorded an episode earlier today where I was talking about my barrel man incorporated uh, water barrel that I have in my backyard, despite the fact that it's from Calgary. It's in my, it's at my house in, in Edmonton. So just all of these small things. And uh, right now we're, we're having this little battle in, in our house right now where my husband wants to put on the furnace and I'm like, no, go get a sweater. <laughs> we're holding out as long as we can. So just some of those, those small steps, uh, I, I'm going to hold strong on, on those. You can do it. You can do it. Thank you. <laughs> I will win. <laughs> you can win that one. <laughs> um, for our listeners, is, are there any resources or websites that you might recommend mm. for them to check out? Um, wow, there are a lot of resources out there. I think that the, the one thing that I would say is that um, just do your research, do your research, don't look at just one site, take a look at multiple places. It's like Colleen, when you're talking about building and doing a renovation and make sure you're working with someone who's willing to work with you and listen to what you want and make some recommendations because there's there's a whole range of people and expertise and products and all kinds of things out there Um, make sure that you do your research and you find what makes the most sense for you and Peter mentioned this earlier we talked about budget we still had a budget for this project. It's not like there was an unlimited broad budget for the confluence and everyone has a budget and has to work within that, that budget. So make a list of all the things that, you, that you're inspired to do and then start to take a look at what is actually available and then what are the costs associated with it and which are the ones that will get you the, you know, kind of the most sustainability for, for you know, the most impact for your dollar. Um, but also be true to who you are. Like if you think that you'll never, you'll never win that fight with your spouse, <laughs> maybe that's not the area to focus on. Maybe there's another area to focus on where you can come to an agreement and, um, and not constantly be turning down the thermostat. Uh, there's, there's lots of ways, there's lots of ways to do it. There's a lot of organizations out there as well that have information Um, go look at all the different certifications from the energy star to the enter guide and the, you know, there's built green, there's lead, there's living building challenge. There's well, there, there's so many, but go poke around and get some ideas. It doesn't mean you have to certify, but go poke around at the programs and see what the suggestions are. They all have their strengths. Um, they all focus in different areas. Uh, and and uh, I, I just, you know, I think there's there's value in that. You could even go so far as to do a little training in green building and start to demystify um, all the lingo and the strategies and, and all of that to really um, unpack it and understand kind of the things that, that you want to go into. And maybe you want to understand why it's sustainable and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a little more insight into it and, and, and be able to make better decisions for, for your home and for your family. Amazing. Thank you. Melanie Ross, research associate, Sage 
Great Green Building Technologies, and Peter Grawl, founder of Woodpecker European Timber Framing. Thank you so much for taking part in our panel and our very first episode of season three of What on Earth Can We Do? This was um, far sur past my expectations and I'm feeling very inspired. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure that a lot of the people who are listening to this are dying to know what the confluence actually looks like. And we will actually be releasing a documentary all about it as part of the Emerald documentary series, which will be released on January 22nd, 2022. We, I want to say a very special thank you to our sponsors who have made this possible. Alberta Real Estate Foundation. Thank you. City of Edmonton, the Edmonton Community Foundation, Government of Alberta, Syncru Canada Limited, and Yellow Bike Solutions and Bioenergy Solutions Incorporated. And if you'd like to support the Alberta Emerald Foundation, make sure to check out our Emerald Lifestyle Card, which provides you with discounts to a wide range of Alberta sustainable businesses. And of course, a very special thank you out to Eco Growth Environmental Inc., who is our season sponsor this year. And of course, please stay up to date with us on our social media at Alberta Emerald.